Hello. Hello. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Kim. Welcome back to the Massive Fans Book Club podcast. Today we start part two of A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass. And this episode will cover chapters 14 through 19. And honestly, I'm so excited because one of my favorite things happens in this section. <laughs> but, <laughs> but before diving in, Kim, a request for our lovely listeners. <laughs> yes. As a reminder, if you are listening to this around the drop date of this episode, we are kindly asking you, all of you, our listeners, to subscribe and rate or review this podcast. Once you've done that, head on over to our website and use our contact us form to tell us what platform you reviewed on, what your username is on that platform so we can verify the review and then tell us your address because the first 20 people to do that will receive a thank you note from us with our first ever massive fans stickers website link is in the show notes Woohoo! <laughs> last bit of housekeeping. This podcast is more or less PG-13, so little ears are not advised, mostly because I'm going to lose my shiznit somewhere around chapter 17, 18, and then of course chapter 19, because that's the part I love. <laughs> Girl, I got you before that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, that being said, Kim, kick this thing off. Well, so we ended the end of the first section Feyre basically lost her mind and cocooned herself and and Morgan came in and saved her. Do, do, do. Right? And so anyway, she agreed to go to Valaris, the city of starlight, with Resand. And I'm just going to say right now, I want to go to Valaris. Every time I read about this, I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm going to oh, go. go to <laughs> like to the point that there are shirts on Etsy and even Amazon about it. <laughs> Let's say, take me to Valaris. Yes, I've seen them. And I keep going, I think I'm going to have to get me one and you one. I know, right? I was like, oh, we need these. <laughs> we really do. We really, 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 really do. Anyway, they land in a townhouse as as it was described and um so it literally opens up and and reese's first comment like it opens up with reese saying welcome to my home and poor Farah is just like huh totally trying to process all this poor thing i mean she is just man the last 24 hours have been a serious hellacious roller coaster for her you know and, now and it only gets bumpier confused. from here yeah, I mean, the poor thing, and it only gets weirder from here. I hate to say it. But, you know, she realizes it's morning, that there's sunlight streaming in. She can hear sounds outside. It's really a city. And she's just like, oh, my goodness. And and she's like, she looks at him, and she's so confused. And she's like, well, what is this place? And he is like, this is my house. Well, I have two in the city. One is for more people official business but this one is only for me and my family and so he's basically already telling her yeah i have more than one home here yeah one's kind of fancy this one's not the fancy one this is basically like he's basically letting 
all of the masks go. And he's telling her, hey, this is my home. This is where I live. This is me. Which is also and interesting because I, the, like when I read it, I even caught where he's like, but this is only for me and my family. And we know for a fact that he doesn't have any family left. Like we know more is like kind of a distant cousin of some kind. So it's like, you know, it. we're in for something here. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, when I, when I first read it and I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people, I was an only child. So again, I didn't have tons of family either um, growing up. So I kind of made my family of my friends that I chose right. to make my family with. And so, you know, I mean, I guess part of me kind of went there with that, like instinctively, I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't, I didn't think about it until like you kind of asked me about it when you read it the first time. And I was like, um, yeah. Well, but that's why I thought it was interesting because it's like, you know, you're in for a story now because you're like, his actual family is dead. So if he's talking about his family, ooh, who is this character character's going to be? <laughs> exactly. So I just, I thought it was really cool. Um, and he, you know, poor, poor Farrah, I mean, she's just still trying to wrap her head around. She's in a city a city no one knows anything about. And she's, her intern monologue is like, there were no cities left in our mortal territory, though some had sprung up on the main continent full of art and learning and trade. Elaine had once wanted to go with me. I didn't suppose I'd ever get that chance now. Because if you remember in the last book, when she had gone back home after being in the spring court, she and Elaine had talked and Elaine yeah. had talked about going to the continent with Feyre. So I just thought that was kind of a a cool connection that Feyre made. So anyway, there's these, you know, this banging on the door and Feyre can see these shadows of these two tall, she realizes they're males and they have wings. <laughs> and she's just like, huh? Again, not totally functionally awake here. Yeah, that's and, one of those things where like that still has to be weird for her where she's like, yeah, yeah, I've been to the spring court and like, yeah, yeah, I've been to the mountain. I've seen some weird fucking shit. But like, it's gotta be weird to just be like, there's two dudes at the door. They have wings. Okay. <laughs> like, it's not Apparently, like she's not going to notice. <laughs> well, the, the things that I love about this, so this really gives you an idea of one, Reese's true personality, but the personality of these guys. So the, the, the one who's banging on the door is like, hurry up, you lazy ass. <laughs> Reese apparently doesn't even respond to this, and he's just like, he wants to say something to Pharaoh before anything else happens and he lets these guys in and on he's like two things Feyre darling two things. <laughs> he's like two things Feyre darling one no one but more and I are able to winnow directly inside this house it is warded shielded then warded some more only those I wish and you wish may enter you are safe here and safe anywhere in this city for that matter Polaris's walls are well protected and have not been breached in 5,000 years. Huh? Wait, yeah, what she just says is like a throwaway. Like, yeah, yeah, 5,000 years and everybody else is like, what? Yeah. He's like, no one with ill intent enters the city unless I allow it. So go where you wish, do what you wish, and see who you wish. And then he stops. He finally acknowledges the two guys banging on the door behind him. And he's like, those two in the antechamber might not be on that list of people you should bother knowing if they keep banging on the door like children. Again, I love it. You really get, you really get to see this awesome part of Reese's personality. And it just, I don't know, it makes me like so giddy and happy. And I don't know. I love it. 
And I then still stand by. This is the point where I'm like, no, this is Tom Ellis's voice. <laughs> because, and I think it's just from watching Lucifer. I feel yes. like the part where he's like, two things, favorite darling. <laughs> like, I can just imagine, like, I can hear Tom Ellis being like halfway irritated, but also halfway amused. And I'm yes. just like, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> With that weird, you know, half grin of his. And yes, the eye roll. Like, he's amused, but also irritated as fuck. <laughs> he's one of the few actors I know who plays, like, that line of, like, uh-huh. I love you, but I hate you so well. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And he's like, and, and, you know, these guys, whoever they are in the antechamber, are like, you know, we can hear you, prick. Like, again, the, the personality, I just, I love it. It, it. For my friends of you who are out there listening, and I know some of you are, you understand why this just entertains and amuses the ever-living crap out of me because you know I know people like this, we know people like this, and I can totally hear them doing and saying this. So yes, I'm highly entertained and amused. And then Cerise goes on, and secondly, in regard to the two bastards at my door, it is up to you whether you want to meet them now or head upstairs like a wise person and take a nap since you're still looking a little peaky and change into a city-appropriate clothing while I beat the hell out of one of them for talking to his high lord like that. And again, it's that personality, that whole, like, he's not, he's not being an asshole. Like, he's saying it with a smile on his face and he's, yeah. he's kind of trying really hard not to laugh. But, you know, he's giving her... Also, when he says peaky, that's when I'm like, and we're British. Yes, definitely British, you know, there's that whole British thing. And I just, I love it because, you know, he, he does give her the option. He's recognizing she's still not a hundred percent and that she's probably still processing everything. Cause she has literally been through the ringer in 24 hours. Anyway, you know, she acknowledges that his eyes are all lit up and he's he's not angry, he's not upset, he's not this horrible person that she had been trained to believe he was. And so what I love about it is you really you really see all of the masks, all of these parts of the High Lord that we had dealt with prior to this, all gone. This is really Reese, who Reese is at his core, and I just I love it. So favorite decides she's gonna go upstairs. <laughs> Because she, she's tired, you know, she's like, I'm drowning in that old heaviness, clawing my way up to the surface that might not ever exist. So she goes upstairs, and up at the top of the stairs, Noala and Carradine are both up there waiting for her. And Reese doesn't even open the door till they're almost at the room that she's going to be in. But Noala and Carradine are walking with her, and in the process, there's this little tiny female because she can't see, she couldn't see this female right, in any right. shape or form because of these two tall giants um, trying to get in. And this female is now giving Resand a hard way to go because the door is locked. And, you know, they all get in and, and the teasing and the playfulness and the, the, the sarcastic kind of poking at one another. I mean, it's like, Noala and Caridwin are trying really hard not to laugh, but they're flinching as well because apparently the little tiny one, one of the guys is like, hold your horses, little, we were here first, little tiny ancient one. Um, And just, you know, things like that to just really kind of make me giggle because you really, 
it's kind of a comic relief of the story for the first time really true comic relief is happening and i think for me it's true that's what i love about it and i love about about these characters um because they just they make me they they make me happy so noala and caradwin get her upstairs and all of a sudden she hears more as she's upstairs and um you know they're doing their thing and you know it's just funny because at one point just before farah gets ready to go to bed Resand acknowledges he's like trust me there's no party only a massacre if cassian doesn't shut his mouth so again you're hearing all this you know this bantering and and this very playful poking at one another like brothers and sisters do like a family would do and so i just it's wonderful and they're doing um, the thing too or like i don't know i feel like in every group of friends this happens at some point where it's like everybody just basically agrees that we're all arguing because we're hangry <laughs> yes <laughs> they're like food didn't somebody say that there would be food here food. yeah where's the food <laughs> absolutely Feyre and Noel and Caradwin get into the bedroom and they close the door so of course now she can't hear anything which is a good thing and she's like Feyre turns around she looks at the two of them and she's like who was that <laughs> and they were like oh no that's Resan's inner circle and she's like he keeps it kind of casual is that normal and they were like no most high lords don't but Resan does like he's he's all about being Mr. Casual and then which I just would like to remind you didn't freaking Tamlin tell us that about himself and the freaking spring court and then I don't know, book two happened and we had a fucking tie. <laughs> like, Among other things. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. I mean, Tam Tamlin is a man of many contradictions. They're saying it and then they're meaning it. Reese means it. <laughs> yes. And then Farrah suddenly, like, she's looking around the room and she's looking out the window in her room out into parts of the city and she really is realizing that nobody has ever, like, the city is completely untouched it's never it wasn't ravaged it wasn't pillaged it wasn't nothing horrible happened to it and it clicked into her brain what Resan said about the city's walls have never been breached for 5,000 years and she realizes that included Amarantha and so while Nawala and Caradwin were in there helping her get ready to go back to bed she looks at them and she's like how did this city like survive that and Noel and Caradwin are like, look, that's not our story to tell. It's Resands. You really need to ask the High Lord. And so the chapter ends, and I, I love this little quote. Just before she falls asleep, there's this, this little bit, her inner monologue that she has right before she falls asleep. And it's maybe Amarantha had won after all. And some strange new part of me wondered if my never returning to the spring court might be a fitting punishment for him. For what he had done to me and literally then it it ends with her falling asleep so that that's chapter 14 i mean it's pretty quick and i love that line like for what he had done to me because if you remember it's kind of a callback because she kept throwing that in reese's face right. being like what he did to me under the mountain except like she knew it was bullshit right <laughs> he didn't really do anything except help her for the most part versus now she's realizing no like think about what tamlin did to me like like what he did to me jesus he locked me in a house and you know like i think she's finally realizing 
how radically different they really are and and that the perception that everybody has of Reese is not really who Reese and is and so so chapter 15 it literally opens and it's been four hours Pharaoh wakes up they meet in the foyer again foyer again she puts in here she's like each step toward that bright threshold was both an eternity and an invitation for a moment the weight in me vanished as i gobbled down the details of the emerging city so you know there's got to be something really spectacular out there beyond those doors and so i i got really excited reading that and they get outside and they're walking and and i don't know when you were in england at, at, at um in oxford she's just really struck by how normal looking it is it really is it's a city it's kind of yeah for your semester away if you made it up to scotland at all i did <laughs> did you go to edinburgh i did <laughs> i fell in love with edinburgh when i was there i did <laughs> i want to go back and it's the whole i mean like i said this whole description and and the, the first part of this chapter there's a ton of description of the different of the city itself and the different parts and i'm not going to go into a lot of detail because it really you need to read the chapter I want you to see it in your mind, but I'm just explaining that when I see it, if you've ever been to Edinburgh, you'll understand. And there are parts of it, the way it's described, it makes me think of the old city and the new city in Edinburgh, the whole bit. Like Edinburgh is just this, it's a spectacular and amazing city to visit. But the one thing that Farid notices before they get too very far in their brains of the city is no monsters, no darkness, not a hint of fear, of despair. Like, nothing to indicate remember the spring court they had to rebuild everything because amarantha and her cronies had destroyed it all so i i just find it interesting she keeps coming back to that like the fact that this city is wholly intact is just just amazing yeah but she, you and i are like wow that's impressive and she's more like wow that's annoying <laughs> True, very true. She's a, she's a little angry, but I think a lot of it, well, the experiences she had, I don't blame her. I think I'd be angry too, because. I mean, I don't know. If, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Again, as I say, we, nobody really knows how they're going to respond in a crisis. But to me, this is such a weird reaction. She's like, the rest of Prithian had been shredded, then left to bleed out over the course of 50 years. Yet Valaris, my fingers curled into fists. Okay, okay, like calm down. Like that would be like being mad that the whole freaking world didn't burn during World War II. Like that, you, like, you can't be like that. Exactly, exactly. Like this is a little extreme. I feel like I need her to calm down. <laughs> yeah, she, she's, she's very hair trigger right now. But they, she does as they're, as they're walking, she does look across and on the other side of the city, she notices these mountains. And Rhysand points out that in the middle peak is his other house in the city, the House of Wind. And then he makes the comment, we'll be we will be dining there tonight. I'm kind of like, uh, okay. And poor Fair, I mean, she's just like, how? She's literally looking around, she just, she's, she's trying to wrap her head around this. And she's like looking at him going, how? How did the city survive? Like, how? And his response, which I got to admit would piss my ass off too if he did this to me, is luck. And I'm just like, dude, really? You're going you're gonna to play that game with her? 
it was luck. That's that's not cool because she's really yeah, she's struggling. But I feel like what's happening here because like we we because we read it and we're going to talk about it you know in a later chapter or maybe it's True. even this chapter but later in it like we will find out what happened. True. But like I think he's picking up on the same thing I would have picked up on, which is like it don't matter. She's asking the question, but she is not in the mood to hear the answer. That's very true. She's not. <laughs> so like, what's the point? <laughs> she ain't gonna listen. No, she's not. And, you know, Reese does explain that, you know, when his ancestors built and created Valaris, they, they kept warding it and shielding the city. You know, he's like, Valaris has remained secret beyond the borders of these lands for a millennia. Amarantha did not touch it because she did not know it existed. None of her beasts did. No one in the other courts knows of its existence either. And Fair again, her favorite question right now, how? And Rhysand responds with, spells and wards and my ruthless, ruthless ancestors who were willing to do anything to preserve a piece of goodness in our wretched world. And then Farrah's like accusing him, well, why didn't you let other people come when Amarantha came? Why, why didn't you open up the, the borders of the city? Which is, again, why I get so irritated, because I'm like, again, what would your answer have been during World War II, Feyre? Like, you can't just be like, mm, I know Luxembourg is 10 feet wide, but anybody can come here. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, like I said, I mean, that's not very historically or, you know, map accurate, but I'm thinking size-wise, it would be the same thing. <laughs> Like, you, you know, you can't be like, oh, crap, the stuff's going down. Let's all go to Vermont. Like, that's not an option. So true. I mean, we can all have a lot of fun at the Ben and Jerry's factory, but... Right, but it's like, I don't think that's going to work long term. No, not at all. And he also, and here's the part that kills me. He had just told her, this city is unknown outside of my borders. Right. That's what I'm saying. This don't even make no sense. Nobody knows this city exists. Nobody. Drop flyers? Like, hey, here's a map. Walk this way. Oh, man. Now I have Aerosmith in my head. Me too. It was such a mistake to say that. (laughs) Anyway. Back to this little story about they were freaking out about Valaris. And when Amarantha came and why didn't he open up the city walls to, you know, everybody else in Prithian who needed a safe place to go? His response to her is, when Amarantha came, I had to make some very hard choices very, very quickly. And remember, we don't know everything. We know what happened to Tamlin that caused the curse, right? But my guess is telling me there are other things that have happened. Because we don't really know all of Rhysand's story. We know that she abused the shit out of him. She fucked him. She tortured him. She did all these horrible things to him. But we really don't know Rhys's story yet within the court uh, for Amarantha. And we will find out about it, just so that you all know. It, it, will, it will be... It, you know, passed on to us. But just for now, bear in mind that, you know, 
we don't know everything that happened and, and won't for a while. So they're walking, and of course, Reese is like, look, everything in the city is what was worth saving. Let me show you, and they walk. He's shopping for a friend of his, and so they keep going. They have these four big shopping areas, and they're called palaces. And he's going into these jewelry stores looking for a gift for a friend. And poor Pharaoh is a little surprised that nobody is really, like, paying attention to Reese being there. They certainly aren't even acknowledging her. It's like she, she's, she's a nobody. She's a little kind of freaked out by it because remember in the spring court, everybody treated her like she was God's gift and the, the second coming of the Messiah for all intents and purposes. And dear God, no wonder she has like freaked out panic attacks because I think I would too. Um, yeah, it's fair. You know, so she's, she's out there doing this. And um, at one point she's like, she she's you know they've been walking around and she's waiting outside for reese outside of a store she's not even going into the stores and she makes the comment you know in her internal monologue and she's like no one on the streets looked twice at me not even at reese Ann's side perhaps they had no idea who i was perhaps city dwellers didn't care who was in their midst now she's not saying that because she thinks she's all some hot snot important person she's saying that because she sees herself as a murderer because of the fact she had to kill two fairies before she stabbed tamlin and that is so important because i think people need to remember that fact that she's still processing all of that that she is so broken from that experience and you know i think i think it's kind of important that you know people realize she's not she's not like they don't know I'm here. She's not being a braggart. She's she literally feels like she should be thrown in a jail cell for all intents and purposes because of what she had to do. Right. And they get they keep walking and they Reese, I guess, finally finds what he's looking for and they stop. They stop at this like bridge and he they're looking out and Reese is like, Well, this is what Valaris is known for. The artist's quarter. And it's, they call it the Rainbow of Valaris because all the buildings are painted different colors. And, of course, the artists and, and you know, Farah is just kind of in awe. And then Reese starts pointing out, because it's the artist quarter, it's not just art, painting, sculpture, all that. It's music and theater and performances. And he points out the different theaters and where the actors and the musicians live. And it's just, it's a really amazing kind of place it, it kind of makes me think of kind of dupont circle in dc yes. maybe greenwich village in new york i don't know but you know definitely that yeah. kind of a vibe yes. she she starts to get really angry again and she realizes that these people you know she's looking around and you know she gets really upset that that his subjects in the city you know they have this apparent lack of worry and care about their life like nothing horrible is going to happen kind of type attitude you know they didn't suffer like the rest of prithian and Which she gets really angry again such a weird take to me yes because we already know that like not everybody was under the mountain and like yes we know that in theory a lot of the other courts their people were in these like quote-unquote work camps or whatever right but we know for a fact that all of them we already knew that before this moment 
Like, I don't know. I just, to me, it's weird because I can't imagine, like I said, you don't know how you're going to like be in a crisis, but I cannot personally imagine ever being so like, so hurt that I just want other people to be hurt too, you know, which is basically what I'm getting from this. Like, I can't imagine being so mad that I went through this, that I would be like, and now I wish it on other people. Exactly. <laughs> that's just not who I am <laughs> so like I have a hard time relating to her in this because I'm just like I feel like I would be in shock and I'd be upset for myself but I'd be like wow something survived that's gotta mean something <laughs> I think part of it she's in shock because something survived she's still trying to wrap her head around the fact that nobody made it like the city was protected for 5,000 years yeah nobody Some knows probably about shock it. and you know, some I, of it's also probably just you know it's been a shit day. Well, that and, I mean she's angry at, at at Tam because remember, the the That's village right outside the the Spring Manor is in the process of being rebuilt, and they totally rebuffed her from trying to help them. And so I think when she puts it in context like that, she's just... I mean, I also think that, like, I mean, this is a stretch. This is not, like, in the text, but I'm just thinking out loud here. Probably she's also a little confused because, like we said, all she's known is the human realm, which sounds like mostly a shit show. Right. And then she's known the, the spring court, which we discussed in, I think, the last episode, is, like, basically, like, freaking like a feudal society and they're like what is electricity exactly <laughs> and then now she's here and she's like and then here there's a whole goddamn city like i don't think i think her brain is just like i'm confused <laughs> like, she, she's having, who are you people she's having some serious time traveler like mind mind right, like, wait on. a minute what the hell <laughs> poor thing i actually feel for her she starts to get really angry and, and Reese calms her down. He's like, easy. My people aren't to blame. And as soon as it happens, she she does. She just like instantaneously calms down. She's thinking, you know, you're right. They weren't. And she realizes she's completely freaking out and overreacting. So Feyre just, she finally starts to calm down and she finally looks at him and she's, she looked up at the house on Wayne and then she looks over at Reese and she's like, so who's coming to this dinner tonight? Fair question. Fair question. I think I'd want to know, you know. And Reese, Reese is, you know, they're they're walking back now up towards the townhouse. And first of all, the big thing that Feyre is discovering is she's way out of shape. Ooh, depression sucks. Poor thing. I know. Like, she's like, even though I'm immortal, I'm dying here. <laughs> she's sucking wind. She has no stamina. Her thighs are burning. From the sound of it, you think she's running like a marathon. She's walking up a hill. I feel her. I feel her. Um, so Reese's response to her was, though, my inner circle. I want you to meet them before you decide if this is a place that you'd like to stay, if you'd like to work with me, and thus work with them. More you've met. But the three others, the ones who came this afternoon, Cassian, Azrael, and Amran, they will also be there. You know, he, he's like, look, let me explain the organization because apparently, you know, she's used to the rigidity in the spring court because no right, matter what, right. what Tamlin said, he's a rigid asshole when it comes to how he runs his court. We just said it, futile. And, and Reese is just like, within my court, there are tears. And Amron is my second in command. 
And Farrah's just like, Blink, what? She's like, a girl. A girl. <laughs> and then Reese really gets her because then he says, and more is my third. Only a fool would think my Illyrian warriors were the apex predators in our circle. And and poor Fair standing there. She's trying to wrap her head around this. She's like, irreverent, cheerful Moore was third to the High Lord of the Night Court. Right. She's like, something about this is not jiving at all with all of the things I've been told. <laughs> not only that, but remember, Moore is the one who came in and literally carried her out of the Spring Court Manor House. Right. Right. Like, this is a lot. <laughs> just a bit. Just a wee bit. And then Reese continues, and he's like, you'll see what I mean when you meet Amran. She looks high, Faye, but something different prowls beneath her skin. And then, you know, they're continuing, they talk, and he's like, you know, for what it's worth, I'm the most powerful high lord in Prithian's history. And merely interrupting Amran is something I've only done once in the past century. And Pharaoh's just like mentally stumbling over, I'm the most powerful High Lord in history? Like, huh? I'm sorry. I'm also thinking about <laughs> uh, for anybody who was a big Spongebob fan, there's a scene where Patrick comes home and there's all these people under his rock and their little eyes are sticking out from under it. And he just stops and stares at them and goes, who are you people? And I feel like that's Mayra right now. He's like, yeah, like I'm super powerful and Amber's more powerful than me. Who are you people? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, well, well, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny because Reese kind of explains to Feyre about Amran and Amran's a little temperamental and cranky and, well, as he describes her, it's like a fire drake guarding its horde. It's a fire drake, it's a type of, of dragon. It's a wyvern. And yeah, I can see that. I totally see it. And... So Farrah's just, she's mentally going through all of this and she's looking at Reese and in the process she, she slips into his mind and she looks at her face and she, through his eyes, sees how gaunt and malnourished and just exhausted and terrible she looks. And it kind of freaks her out a little. And, you know, she kind of has this existential moment of, well, maybe it would be too bad if I was ended. And then Reese completely loses his shit. And he's like, don't you ever talk like that again. Which, good for Reese for being upset that she was thinking about suicide in a weird way. You go, Reese. Um, but then they're like, wait, how? How, how, how did this happen? Because even Reese is like, how did you get past my shields? Like, they're both a little freaked out that she got past his mental shields. And it was really fast. She literally, just for a few seconds, was looking at his eyes, at her, realizing how horrible she really looked and unhealthy. So they start talking about the gifts and the ones that he has and where they came from and who the different people involved are. And this is one of the gifts from Resand. Right, right. He's, he's aware that he doesn't know why it works the way it does, but he's aware that that had to have come from him because he's the only one who does 
has to have that. Yeah, has that magic little gift. And he, he even finally acknowledges that, well, if it comes from me, maybe my shield mistook you for me, so it would make sense. So Right, like, which does make some sense. Right. And of course, Pharaoh's like, take it back, I don't want it! She's freaking out, because thanks, Tamlin, for totally fucking up her head. And he's like, it don't work like that, boo-boo! <laughs> like... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so Reese is just like, now that they're talking about the different powers, you know, he's like, He's like, we're called Demati. Those of us who can walk into another person's mind as if we were going from one room to another. We're rare. And the trait appears as the mother wills it. But there are enough of us scattered throughout the world that many, mostly those in positions of influence, extensively train against our skill set. If you were to ever encounter a Demati without those shields up, they take whatever they wanted. A more powerful one could make you their unwitting slave, make you do whatever they wanted, and you'd never know it. My lands remain a mystery enough to outsiders that some would find you, among other things, a highly valuable source of information. So I think it's it's interesting that he he he's starting to give her some information, but we finally realize. That, that whole thing where he could go into their mind and those claws in her mind in book one and when he he would go and he'd you know for for Amarantha he'd go in and he'd grip their minds this is what is, he's talking about his Damati powers so it's kind of a cool way to finally learn well, about it all is this cool because to me it also suddenly it's like another piece of the mask that comes off because up to Ooh. this point she's just like this is some horrible thing Reese knows how to do and it's like nah like, nah, there's the, there's a handful of people who can do this, and he just happened to be the one under the mountain doing it. But if it hadn't right. been him, it would have been somebody else. Right. So they get back to the to the townhouse, and Farrah's all, you know, she's acknowledging about how she's feeling and, and how empty she feels inside, and she's like, even in the years that I've been one week away from starvation, that part of me that had been full of color of light Maybe becoming a fairy had broken it. Maybe Amarantha had broken it. Or maybe I had broken it when I shoved that dagger into the hearts of two innocent fairies and their blood had warmed my hands. And we finally get one of those little snowflakey star things, crosses, whatever they are. Which I have to we say... We could end a chapter here, but we don't play like that. We don't. Right, exactly. I, I, I have to say they could have ended the chapter there. and We could have started the new chapter. But we don't. And so the next section of this chapter, they are on the roof of the townhouse and Favor is starting to freak out because Reese is basically telling her that, well, the only way they're getting to the house of wind is for him to fly her there. So his wings are out. She's all dressed for dinner and a fancy dress. Which, like, like, admittedly, he could have explained to her before this moment. Like, it would have been really nice if he'd been like, okay, we leave at six, wear pants, we are flying. But instead, he's just like, okay, we're leaving at six. And she's like, okay. Right. <laughs> Not okay. really thinking about what the hell is going to happen next. Now he's like, okay, climb up here, we're flying. <laughs> like, excuse me? The WTF dude so she's just like uh no 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 not gonna happen and he's like 
The house of wind is warded against people winnowing inside, just like this house. However, high lords can't even winnow to it. And he's like, we can either fly there or we can walk up 10,000 steps. And he doesn't want to do it. And you know what? I read that. I was like, oh, hell no. I'll fly. I don't care. I'll keep my eyes closed. Something. No, 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 no. Well, she loses and they do finally. He scoops her up and they fly over there. But as they're flying, the one thing Reese says to her is, you say the word tonight and we will come back here. No questions asked. And if you can't stomach working with me, with them, then no questions asked on that either. We can find some other way for you to live here to be fulfilled regardless of what I need. It's your choice, Farah. And I'm just like, dude, you just get the big gold star because that makes me so stupidly happy. Yeah, I know. And they're flying and, and he's telling her that, you know, when he was a boy, he used to sneak out of the house of wind to go flying at night. And his mother would sometimes catch him breaking out, so to speak. And instead of reprimanding him, she would join him because she was the Illyrian, not his dad. Right. And so she would go flying with him and they would sometimes fly all night long through the city. And I just thought it's like a sweet little background. He's telling a story about his mom, about his family. He's kind of letting her in which I just think is awesome. I love I it. I think the exchange is cute because he explains it and then he says, you know, she'd scold me and then jump out herself to fly with me until dawn. And Ferris says, she sounds lovely. And he says, she was. And I, and, and Ferris like, I don't, she admits she doesn't push past that because like yeah. clearly that there's like too much there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he definitely like loves and misses his mother. And so he's, she's just like, I'm not going to touch that one. Like I may give him a hard time, but I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I do, I love it. And so they, they do land on the balcony and, and she notices, first of all, an interesting thing. One of the things that I find interesting, they talk about, and she's, and they talk about the dining room right inside there are these, sliding glass doors and inside it's the dining room and she notes that each chair it's it's uh, the two glass doors were already open revealing a large but surprisingly casual dining room carved from the stone and accented with rich wood each chair fashioned i noted to accommodate wings i can't even imagine what that looks like so i'm waiting for the tv show me and you both. And so before they go in, Reese, because Reese realized she's got all these 20 million thoughts going through her head. And he's like, out with it. Tell me what's going on. Kind of a pending for your thoughts. And he finally looks at her and he's like, look, you say what's in your mind, one thing, and I'll say one too. So like, I tell you something I'm thinking about, you tell me something you're thinking about, like a one for one, which I think is kind of a not a bad way to compromise to to get her to talk her way through all of this and it's also like a thing they adopt kind of from here on out it is it's a sweet moment and so reese he's just like finally he decides to start and he's like i'm thinking that i spent 50 years locked under the mountain and i sometimes let myself dream of this place but i never expected to see it again i'm thinking that i wish i had been the one who slaughtered her I'm thinking that if war comes, it might be a long while yet before I get to have a night like this again. 
and it kind of breaks your heart because these are very they're related but they're also very separate thoughts right and it it's very heartbreaking because he's really letting you in to him and his personality and he's like he's going to compromise with her he's like look i just told you three things you tell me one just one and so favor finally gets started and and she's like i'm thinking that i must have been a fool in love to allow myself to be shown so little of the spring court i'm thinking there is a great deal of that territory i was never allowed to see or hear about and maybe i would have lived in ignorance forever like some pet and i'm thinking i'm thinking that i was a lonely hopeless person and I might have fallen in love with the first thing that showed me a hint of kindness and safety. Hello, Stockholm Syndrome. And I'm thinking maybe he knew that. Maybe not actively, but maybe he wanted to be that person for someone. And maybe that worked for who I was before. Maybe it doesn't work for who, what I am now. And she acknowledges that these are these feelings she has had all trapped up inside of her and she's finally getting them out. And, and I love that last bit because it's like, she's not really blaming him. She's like, she's not blaming Tamlin necessarily, but she's just saying like, maybe some of it was me and some of it was him too. You know what I mean? Like oh. she, she's not going to take all the blame, but she's not really blaming him either. And I just think that's like a really, like this is the first time where I'm like, okay, now we're healthy and working through our trauma. Yeah, I mean, she's finally, like, she's being very positive and, and really, she's really looking at it from the right frame of mind where, you know, she acknowledges she, well, and she said it before, she's not the same person she was. But instead of being all hurt and angry about it, she's really kind of being objective and looking at it saying, hey, I'm not the girl I was. I don't need the same things I needed then. And maybe he still needs that, but I don't. And I think that's really, it's huge. It's a huge, honestly, in my mind, it's a huge step for her to take the right step in, in the right direction towards recovering and becoming a healthy person again. And we say, it's like, okay, that was five. I owe you two. And then he goes later because there are people behind them. And the chapter ends. <sighs> We're finally at the end of this chapter. Man, I, I I mean, like I said, I love this part. It's great. I'm excited. But goodness gracious, that's a long chapter. <laughs> chapter 16 opens. Reese turns around, walks towards the dining room, and who should be there but Cassian and Azriel. Thayra acknowledges, first of all, that they're both wearing a type of light armor. Kind of confuses her a little but whatever. Cassian is teasing Feyre about being all dressed up to the nines and, and then teasing Reese about it. And Azriel is kind of mysterious and he kind of hides the shadows and all from him. And to bring her over there, Cassian teases her. And I, I can so hear this because I have friends that have done this and have said this to me. It's like, come on, Feyre. We don't bite unless you ask us to. Which I love because Reese's response is also like every friend I've ever had where he's like, and yet nobody has ever taken you up nobody on that offer. You up on that. That's right. 
she's like, if Reese's mother had also been Illyrian, she has this mental thought going through, and she's like, if Reese's mother had also been Illyrian, then its people were blessed with unnatural good looks. Yeah, apparently they are just a race of hottie McCottersons. <laughs> <laughs> Which just makes me giggle, like, truly giggle. And, uh, and then so Reese, I mean, Cassian looks at Reese, he's like, so fancy tonight, brother. And then commenting on, you know, Feyre being all dressed up too, and Feyre is very confused by this whole brother's thing, and she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Huh? <laughs> Reese introduces her to Asriel first, because he had already acknowledged Cassian, and he introduces her like, this is Asriel, my spy master. And all Asriel says to her is welcome. <laughs> in his very dark and mysterious ways. Because Asriel keeps wrapping himself in the shadows, and then they keep going back and forth. Poor Farrah, it's so confused. She looks at them and she goes, wait, your brothers? <laughs> Which, you know, I don't blame her. At that point, I think I'd have been lost, too, because she's recognizing they look similar-ish. And Yeah, she's oh, like, help me out here. I'm lost. <laughs> Y'all are pretty, but huh? <laughs> yeah, that has to be some of it, too. She's got to be like, okay, look, I took a really long nap, and so I'm like out of nap hangover. And then we, we flew here, and I'm not down with that. And now I'm just looking at a bunch of pretty dudes, and I'm confused. <laughs> pretty much. Like, I am lost. It's been a weird day. Please use small words when you explain things to me. <laughs> well, not only that, but I mean, think about the, the, the word vomiting she had done with Reese on her five things that she told him. Right. So she's like, please communicate with me in small words a child would understand. <laughs> Poor girl. This poor girl is just mentally, she is not, she's just in a weird place for headspace, I'm telling y'all. Reese is like, look, you know, we're, we're basically brothers because we're, we're friends and we think of each other more as brothers than as friends. And, and you know, that's how he basically explains it to her. That's not verbatim, but that's basically how it gets explained. Pharaoh was like, never thought of something like that, but okay. And then she looks at Cassian and she's like, and you are... And he's like, Cassian, I command Reese's armies. I fear it gets stuck on the word armies. Armies, more than one, armies, multiple armies. She's just like, oh shit. <laughs> Holy crap. Asriel kind of welcomes her in a really sweet way because he's just like, as a friend of Reese's, Cassian excels at pissing everyone off, especially amongst our friends. So, as a friend of Reese's, good luck. And and Pharaoh mentally stops that and she's like a, a friend of Resand, not savior of the land, not murderer, not human fairy thing. Maybe they didn't know. You'd think that wouldn't you? <laughs> they know. Cassian's way of breaking the ice is just so not smart, I think is the best way to put it. And he's just like, so how did you make that bone ladder that killed the Middengard worm? And you know this is one of those things where Reese is like, I fucking told you one thing not to do. What'd you just do? <laughs> Snap. Dipshit. And Pharaoh realizes as soon as he asks that question that he had not been under the mountain. Because if he had, he'd know the answer to the question. 
But then she's like, well, where the hell was he? Maybe he was all, you know, off safe somewhere. Safe in air quotes there, people. She gets kind of pissy with him. And she's just like, well, how the hell did you manage to survive this long without anyone killing you? Which proceeds to crack up everybody. I like Morgan. Out of all the women in the book, Morgan's actually my favorite person. She's very complex. She's very complicated. She's got a lot going on. But she's awesome. Just awesome. And as the dinner progresses, you will realize that my favorite male friend in this inner circle is Cassian. I adore Cassian. Love me some Azriel. Amarin, who we meet in a few minutes, is awesome too. I was going to say, too. we haven't met my favorite girl yet. <laughs> I love them all. I mean, really, guys, you don't understand. I love them all. Like, I'm sitting here, I'm like shaking and squeeing on the inside because I just love these guys. But Cassian consistently, and, and Kelsey can agree with this, makes me laugh. He's kind of good-natured, and he kind of pokes a lot of fun at himself and others, but he's got the biggest teddy bear heart of all of them, and I just, I adore Cassian. Cassian's, Cassian's my dude, and so Moore tries to get them into the dining room to, you know, sit down. She's going to try and cozy up with Farah and spend some time hanging up and catching up with her, having some wine, having some drinks, and then... Azriel's kind of like, we have company. <laughs> and which point you suddenly realize it's, it's this little itty-bitty teeny tiny thing that makes Fair almost feel like a giant because she's so much bigger than her. And her, her name is Amarin. And she, she, literally you know is talking and she's like she's several inches shorter than me her chin length black hair glossy and straight her skin tan and smooth and her face pretty bordering on plain was bored if not my mildly irritating but amarin's eyes her silver eyes were unlike anything i'd ever seen a glimpse into the creature that i knew in my bones wasn't high fay or hadn't been born that way. The silver in Amrit's eyes seemed to swirl like smoke under glass. So we don't know what we're dealing with here. She may look like she's half a, but boy howdy, when Reese said there's something a little different about her, there's something a whole lot different about, about her. And and it, I have to say that that Feyre has the, the foresight of mind to kind of be like, hmm, I'm going to behave. I don't want to pick that fight with her. But she literally, you know, Feyre acknowledged that, that Amran is just thrumming with power. This little tiny thing just is, it has more power even than she feels coming off of Reese's hand. And it's kind of bizarre. And she notices that what Amran's wearing is a lot like the night court clothes that she would wear when she was at the other palace above the mountain with the top and the cropped pants and all. And she's like, huh, interesting. Okay. And I mean, she's, she literally says, the High Lord at my sight felt like a wisp of shadow compared to the power thrumming from her. So, I mean, there's something about Amran. And it, it's kind of interesting. 
and then Amarin thanks Rhysand for the, the present, which apparently the jewelry that they've been out shopping for, the gift for his friend, was for Amarin. I love that. And I love how she's just like, she, it's like she's already wearing it, and she's just like, thanks. <laughs> it suits me. I'm like, hmm, confident much, miss? Hmm? And uh, anyway, it's just, it was, it's really interesting, because she's like, everything suits me. I, I just, that, that takes some serious self-confidence to say that. I'm sorry. You know who she kind of reminds me of in this, like when I first saw her, is Edna in um, yes! little, yes! little Edna I from in Incredibles. Edna. <laughs> That's what I think of. I think of Edna. I'm like, hmm, little tiny, all power, little teeny tiny thing. Yeah. Full exactly. of power, kind of scary. Thing. And I love that Feyre is just like so friggin' mind blown because she's like, she's got her internal monologue. She's like, I studied Reese and Amarin as if I might be able to read what further bond lay between them, but Reese waved a hand and bowed about his head. It suits you, Amarin. And it's like, you can tell she's like so uh like this is that moment when you meet two people and you're like so have you slept together or am i just picking up on something else weird <laughs> yep so she's like i don't understand either of you right now <laughs> she's so lost poor Farah is just lost but then it gets a little weird because amron walks up to Farah, walks up to her and sniffs her yeah. sniffs her and then amber goes so there are two of us <laughs> Poor Fair was like, huh? Yeah, she's like, to what? To what? <laughs> and then Amrit's response is, we who were born something else and found ourselves trapped in new strange bodies. Poor Fair is just like, oh shit. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it were me, I don't know. I know Feyre, like, just based off of this internal monologue that keeps going that I'm not going to go into great detail because you all would, like, hate me and I won't do that to you all. But literally that poor Feyre is just kind of like, what the ever-loving fuck is she talking about? And then Amon makes the comment, well, there is a third, but I don't think you've heard from Miriam in centuries. And then Cassian and Azrael are, and, and more are all like, come on, let's go. We're hungry. You know, they're trying to move this along. And Resand responds to that with Miriam and Draken are doing well, as far as I've heard. And what exactly is interesting? And Amran's head tilts aside and she responds to him and she says, only once before was a human made into an immortal. Interesting that it should happen again, right as all the ancient players have returned. But Miriam was gifted with long life, not a new body, and you, girl. Your very blood, your veins, your bones were made. A, mortars, a mortal soul in an immortal body. That's a little heavy. <laughs> Yeah, like here, that's a dinner. lot. Here, here, it's dinner. Let's, 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 yeah, let's just throw that out on the table. Remember, Fair's having dinner with these people to see if she wants to work with them. I don't know. If that were how my dinner opened, I'd be like, mm, I don't know about this. This is a little weird. 
Moore and Cassie in particular like, look, we're really hungry. They can talk and bore us to tears, but we're going to eat. Let's eat. And so they do. And then you get this weird moment of just entertainment. And Cassian reaches over. He's watching Amarin, who had put food on her plate. He watches her. And he's just like, I always forget how bizarre this is. And he just literally takes her plate and he scoops half of the food onto his and then hands it to Azrael to put the other half on Azrael's plate. And it's just like, who, again, who are you people? <laughs> and it's just so comical because you have this, this big warrior dude, this big manly, manly warrior guy, like just acting like a big 16-year-old kid reaching across the table and grabbing, I mean, the mental image here just puts me in hysterics because this really kind of gives you an idea of what Cassian is like. He really is like this, and it's just hysterical. And poor Azrael is apologizing, going, I keep trying to get him to stop doing that, but it's not working. Reese's response to all of this bickering around the table is, remind me to have family dinners more often. Favor's response to that is hysterical because she's thinking in her head. Again, this is her internal monologue. She's like, family dinners. Not official court gatherings. Yeah, she's like, well, this is different. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's really struggling to wrap her head around this. And she's, she, at one point, she's just like, they'd, they'd no doubt worn whatever they felt like. I had the rising feeling that I could have shown up in my nightgown and they wouldn't have cared. <laughs> Which I love that she picks up on that literally the first time meeting them. Like, okay, note to self, don't fucking bother with the outfit next time. <laughs> Exactly. It just makes me giggle because it's the whole, this is a whole new side of Resand that we haven't really seen, remember? And, you know, she's just, again, Cassian is just, Cassian and Moore in particular are just so, let the hair down, relax, kick back. It's like sitting, listening to them at this table, at this dinner table, and then throughout the rest of the book, I'm going to tell you all, it's like hanging out with my friends. Y'all knew who you are. I love it. It makes me laugh. It makes me smile. It makes me happy. And as they're eating, Feyre's just kind of looking around the table, taking it all in. She's not really saying a whole lot. And then she's looking at Azrael and Cassian and their armor, and they have these, they look like big gems on the back of their hands, and then she notices them in other places on their, their armor. And she starts to ask Azrael and Cassian about their siphons, is what they're called. And Azrael, God bless him, realizes what was going on because he realized she was just fascinated and kind of confused all at the same time. And he's like, they're called siphons. They concentrate and focus our power in battle. And then she's like, but only Cassian, only Cassian and Azrael are wearing them. And then he sets down his fork and he clarifies for her by saying, the power of strong Illyrians tends toward incinerate now, ask questions later. They have little magical gifts beyond that, the killing power. So Reese continues, and he's like, Illyrians bred the power to give them advantage in battle. The siphons filter that raw power and allow Cassian and Azrael to transform it into something more subtle and varied, into shields and weapons, arrows and spears. Imagine the difference between hurling a bucket of paint against the wall and using a paintbrush. The siphons allow for the magic to be nimble, precise on the battlefield. When in 
its natural state lends itself towards something far messier and unrefined and potentially dangerous when you're fighting in clo close quarters. So I like how it's well explained and they get to wear these big, pretty, shiny things. And then poor Farah is trying to understand. She, she makes the mistake of calling Cassian and Azrael lords, which proceeds to crack up everybody at the table, including Cassian and Azrael. Uh, and then poor, poor Reese has to explain that, well, yeah, um, nobody here, it's really only me and, 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 and Morgan who have any titles. Everybody else is kind of the common man raised up, so to speak. And then Favor makes mention that she didn't see any of them under the mountain. And you quite literally could hear a pin drop at the table. Everybody got really quiet. And um, Morgan explains to everyone that they were, they were there in Valeris, um, guarding the city. And it's where everybody was kept safe, but they were also kept secret from Queen Amarantha. And that everybody in the city knows every sand sacrifice to keep them safe from her. And so Feyre asks how, changing the topic, because she realizes this is painful and awkward. And again, you guys, this is several pages of conversation. It really is so yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> it is, and I'm trying to like go through it as quick as I can. And uh, I love it, and you get a lot of information. But Feyre asks Cassian and Azrael and Reese how they all met. And so Cassian and Reese basically tell the story, and, and it's they met at an Illyrian war camp when they were young boys and actually they grew up for the longest time, they all hated each other. And it wasn't until a couple of years after they had been there that they were all, they all decided they wanted to be friends. Um, both Cassian and Azrael were bastards. Reese's mother had been a low born Illyrian. His mother basically brought the other two boys into their house and helped raise them and train them and tutor them and taught them how to read and write. Um, Cassie never knew his father, and his mother died by the time he had gone back to find her after he was considered a full-fledged adult. Azriel, his mother, a servant in his father's house, his father basically raped his mother, and then his father kept him chained in the basement, and his father and his stepmother and half-brothers were total assholes to him. So it's, oh, it's horrible. Anyway, um, but Rishan's father met his mother at the, at the war camp, the the Illyrians have this horrible thing because they're they're winged fairies. They're all born with wings, where they have uh, they snip the wings for the women to keep them grounded. Which is it's just very... so friggin' annoying. Yeah, it's archaic. I think is is horrible, but they're very archaic. Anyway, Reese's mom was trying to escape from being chained down to have her wings clipped so she couldn't fly anymore. When Reese's father was there, saw her, the mating bond snapped into place and Reese's dad basically killed everybody around his mother to save her. Kind of a gory thing and they talk about it as, how did they describe it? It's, they misted. But his Reese's father misted them. And if right. they was like misted, trying to figure this yeah, out. Yeah, like, again, please use small words. <laughs> 
And so they're they're doing this, and and, and they so Reese takes a lemon, uh, floated a lemon wedge that had been garnishing his chicken into the air above the table, and with a flick of his finger, it turned into citrus scented mist. And this is what Reese's dad did to all these Illyrians who've been trying to hurt his mother. A little bizarre. And they continue into their story of how they. It is, because it's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's kind of nice, I guess. <laughs> yeah. After all of this, they did the right. They, they, which is, it's, it's a whole thing for Illyrians. And when they come of age, the males do this ceremony. They, they finished their story of how they, they got to be friends. As Reese says, or Cassian said, he goes, the other males knew that we were different, not because we were two bastards and a half-breed. We were stronger, faster. Like the cauldron knew, we'd been set apart and wanted us to fight each other. Reese's mother saw it too, especially as we aged the reach of, the, reached the age of maturity, and we all we wanted to do was fuck and fight. Nice and crass. Thanks, Cass. Keep it, keep know, it real. Keeping it, keeping it real. And you know they were talking about how his war you know how how you know reese's power came and they're just they're so they're so strong and they talk about the 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 war that came and the fact that they they all were in the war together and anyway they 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 were the last ones to master the right so to speak win the competition that is the right and um and then the war came and Reese's dad being an asshole separated the three of them during the war, which is a whole nother story. And, and Reese cuts Cassian off from that. And it's, you know, it, it, once Reese was made high Lord after the war, he appointed the four of them to his inner circle. And he, he says, I pointed these four to my inner circle and told the rest of my father's old court that if they had a problem with my friends, they could leave. They all did. Turns out, having a half-breed high lord was made worse by his appointment of two females and two Illyrian bastards. And Reese is like, the nobility of the night court fell into one of three categories, those who hated me, Enough that when Amarantha took over, they joined her court and later found themselves dead. Those who hated me enough to try to overthrow me and face the consequences, i.e. they got killed. And those who hated me but not enough to be stupid and have since tolerated a half-breed's role, especially when it so rarely interferes with their miserable lives. And Farrah finally starts to put two and two together. And she's like, wait, these are the people that live under the mountain. This is the court that Amarantha uncreatively based her court off of. Right. And it's like, oh, good. Okay. Farrah's waking up. <laughs> yeah. It's all finally clicking. Anyway, Reese is like, yep. In the Hewn City, I gave it to them for, be for not being fools. And he's, and, and, you know, Morgan then goes to the Court of Nightmares. And then Pharaoh's like, but if, what's this court then? Like, she's really confused because she's now realizing there are two courts. Right. And Cassian looks at her and answers it, the court of dreams. And then in her internal analog, Pharaoh says, the court of dreams, the dreams of a half-breed high lord, two bastard warriors, and two females. 
blink, 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 like totally trying to understand all this. And then she's trying to understand how more and, and, and Amarin kind of fell into this. She's heard the story about, you know, Reese and Azrael and Cassian. And she's trying to like, well, how did, how did we all, you know, get to do that? You know, what about you two? And Amarin's like, well, I've been around for forever and nobody ever asked me and Reese did. And I said, sure. Which again, <laughs> like legit, I'm okay with this. <laughs> Which just makes me giggle. And then Moore says something and it, it becomes, it, if you're a fan, if you're into the fandom, you will realize you'll see this come back. Because what Moore says is, I was a dreamer, born into the court of nightmares. So I got out. And I, I think it's so fascinating that that's her, you know, I was a dreamer born into the court of nightmares. So she left the court of nightmares to join the court of dreams when Resan became High Lord. And ultimately, they are still, even though they're the court of dreams and they're based out of Alaris, because they are Resan's inner circle, they really outrank everybody, including those in the Hewn City, the Court right. of Nightmares. And I think that's kind of cool. Then Cassian looks at Feyre and says, well, what's your story? So Feyre, as quickly as she could, tells them what happened with her dad and having money and losing all the money, and basically she was the one out there hunting and taking care of her family. And Cassian is like, wait a minute, you taught yourself to hunt? Did you ever learn how to fight? And Feyre's like, no. And, and, Reese, and, and Cassian's like, well, you found yourself a teacher. It happens. Feyre has this thought. Now, remember, remember, back in the spring court, and poor Lucian, God love him, was trying, trying to get Tamlin to train her. And we couldn't. You know, and, and Ianthe and all them, the horrible, terrible, stupid shit they were saying. So Feyre blurts out, you don't think that sends a bad message if people see me learning to fight using weapons? And as soon as it was out, she's like, oh shit, that really sounded bad. But before she says that, she has a really good internal monologue where she says, I would not be weak again. I would not be dependent on anyone else. I would never have to endure the touch of the adder as it dragged me because I was too helpless to know where and how to hit never again so she's like really contemplating like yeah maybe maybe i should let him help me <laughs> teach me this right and more is the one who answers her her comment then more said with a soft venom that made me understand the high lord's third had received training of her own in that court of nightmares let me tell you two things as someone who has perhaps been in your shoes before. Again, that shared bond of anger, of pain, throbbed between them all, save for Amran, who was giving me a look dripping with distaste. One more said, you have left the spring court. If that does not send a message, for good or bad, then your training will not either. Two. I once lived in a place where the opinion of others mattered. It suffocated me, nearly broke me. So you'll understand me, Pharaoh, when I say that I know what you feel and I know what they tried to do to you. And with that, and that with enough courage, you can say to hell with the reputation. Her voice gentled 
The tension between them all faded with it. You do what you love, what you need. And I love how it could be, it could have been any of them, really. You know, like Reese could have said it to her, you know, Cassian or even Azrael. But no, the one who says it to her is more. And I love that you have this, this outstandingly strong female defending her, but not in your typical way of defense. It's more of a, look, I've been in your shoes and I'm angry, but this is what, what it is. And this is on you. This is your decision to make. Well, and, and you and I talked about this offline. It's also, it, it's also special coming from more because like she's the one who went in and got Feyre out. Absolutely. And so it's like and she it's, has, like from the get-go, Moore has been like, no, like I'm not going to watch kind of what happened to me happen to her too. Like absolutely exactly. not. Like I don't, like, I don't think this is a situation, like when you first read it, you're kind of like, oh, like Moore had to do that because Reese asked her to. And it's like, no, I think she was like, if anybody's going in there, it's me. <laughs> That's part of it. Not like we knew Reese couldn't because of it. Yeah, we knew Reese couldn't because of the rules, but that didn't mean like you know realistically he could have sent anybody. But I think she was like, no, it's going to be me. It could have been Amran. It could have been Cassian or Azriel. Exactly. Right. And realistically, and it, it probably would have been Azriel because wouldn't you send your sneaky sneakers in? <laughs> and <together>? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you would. We all like Azrael too. Azrael's pretty awesome. Which is why I'm like, okay, I have a feeling that she was like, not nah, bitch, I'm going to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, it, it just, it gives, it gives favor this moment of realization. She's like, she recognizes that she's never really had a female friend, that Ianthe was certainly not her friend. Ugh. And her sisters had never really been her friends, even though the last time she was home, kind of sort of a little bitty bit we're working on that but they still really weren't her friends either and she realizes that more she has a friend someone who isn't going to tell her what to wear or how to dress or anything else but will give her an opinion of the important things of like you're being a dumbass and don't do something stupid and here let me help you with that so you don't hurt yourself kind of type shit but not oh no you need to wear the pink not the blue or you know whatever but Feyre realizes she can really genuinely have a conversation with, with her and really talk to her. And, and Moore's going to listen. Really take the time to stop and listen to her. And that is a huge revelation to, to Feyre at this moment. Um, and then she's like, you know, what she said, what they'd all said. And she recognizes Reese had been really smart to bring her there and to have her meet them. And if she could deal with the intensity and the, the strength of the teasing and the bonds that they all had, they're going to push her, they're going to make her uncomfortable, but ultimately, they're going to make her a better person and make her stronger. And she looks at Cassian and she's like, I'll think about it, meaning the training. But then she turns around and she looks at Reese and she's like, I accept your offer to work with you, to earn my keep and help with Highburn in whatever way I can. At which point Reese is like, good. Because you're starting work tomorrow. And the group is like, what is what? happening? She's agreeing to what? She home <laughs> Come to find out, it was an interview on both sides. They were interviewing her and she was interviewing them. And it all works out. 
because Rhysian drops this whole thing, and he's like, yeah, the King of Highburn is in, is about to launch war, and uh, he wants to resurrect Jurian to do it. And everybody else kind of freaks out, because remember, everybody else knew Jurian. Everyone else sitting at that table knew him. And they were like, do what, do what, do what, 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 what? Amorin has this moment of clarity, and she's like, okay, word will have reached him about Pharaoh's making, so he will know that it's possible for the dead to be remade. And everybody's like, well, the High Lords aren't going to do it. And, and Pharaoh's like, oh, that's why the bone and the like eyeball ring disappeared off the planet. Awkward. They never caught the Ador either, did they? Yeah, like all the pieces start coming together for her. So he turns around to Amarin, God bless Reese, he looks at her and he goes, so how do you take an eye and a finger bone and make it into a man again? How do we stop it? Because we know the High Lords aren't going to do it, right? And, and Amarin's like, well, you know the answer to that. You're going to have to go to the prison and you're going to have to talk to the bone carver. Okay, stop this for a sec. The bone carver. I'm sorry. That's kind of a disturbing thought. I'm going to have to go to a prison and I have to talk to a what? So everybody's trying to figure out who's going to go. And of course, apparently Cassian kind of likes the idea. He likes to go to the prison for some reason. Y'all, I love Cassian. He is not totally right in the head and it's okay. And then Astral's like, you know, I'll go because it's one of his jobs sometimes. And, and Reese is like, no, no, no. It's going to be Favor and I going to the prison. <laughs> and Favor's just kind of like, like what? <laughs> yeah. Moore's just like, pardon, what? What? Like, literally, it's what more demanded. But I just hear in my head, I'm just like, what? <laughs> exactly. At which point, Amberin has the right response because she does answer it. And she's like, look, he's not going to talk to Reese or Azrael. Really, he won't talk to any of us. We've got nothing to offer him. But an immortal with a mortal soul, he might be willing to talk to her. <laughs> so... Fair is thinking about it, and she's like, yeah, the Bone Carver, the Naga, the Adder, the Surreal, the Boggy, the Midgarbed Worm. Yeah. Fuck it, I fought one monster. What the hell, I fought them all. Bring on the Bone Carver. <laughs> right. And Reese is like, it's your choice. And she's like, okay. How bad can it be? And all Cassian has to say is bad. <laughs> I was like, I just love that Cassian's like, um... Bad news. Bad. 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 <laughs> Just bad. And that's where the chapter ends. We have finally gotten to the end of the dinner. But we have met my favorite people. And I, I, I suddenly feel like for the first time in this whole series, this is really kind of where I'm like, oh, my people. But these are the people that I think it was maybe during the bonus episode where we were like you have to read book two because there are just some people you have to meet and these are those people <laughs> these these are them and i love them so all right it's all yours now I, i'm talked out okay well i would love to say that these other chapters are shorter but i'd be lying <laughs> sorry guys so so we're just about to do what we could do, okay? 
Okay. So chapter 17, Feyre mulls over this whole jury and bone carver ordeal while the rest of the inner circle discusses the situation at nauseum. And like once done, Reese flies Feyre back over the city towards the townhouse. And after some silence, Feyre finally looks at him while he's focused his sights on like where he's going, you know, like a good driver. And she says, <laughs> and she says, tonight, I, I felt you again through the bond. Did I get past your shields? And he loosely explains, no, this bond is a, a living thing, an open channel between us, shaped by my power, shaped by what you needed when we made the bargain. And she retorts, well, I needed to not be dead, <laughs> which is like fair. So she's like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? <laughs> and he corrects her and says, you needed not to be alone. And for a moment, he does look at her, and she notes that she's the first one to look away. And he goes on to say that he himself doesn't fully understand why they feel each other, even with their guards up. But, you know, Feyre's, like, all adorably lost in thought. <laughs> and she's, like, thinking about what he had just said, thinking about how he said he, she needed to not be alone. And she's thinking about how it must have felt for him under the mountain. Like, she's finally, like, you know, wheels are turning here. And she's thinking about how, like, he probably needed that too. Like, for 50 years, he was without his friends and his family or anybody. And she speaks up, pointing out that now that she's met his friends and, like, the inner circle, she realizes that, like, the airs he puts on about, like, delighting and ruling over the Court of Nightmares is just all a facade. She's like, it's all a front to keep what matters most safe, she says, mm -hmm. which, yeah, which leads him to what I think is a beautiful response, but honestly, that's just because Tamlin set the bar so low. <laughs> like, Tamlin well, set the whole, he did. Yeah, he did. He set the bar so low for what a good high lord should be. <laughs> because he says, I love my people and my family. Do not think I wouldn't become a monster to keep them protected. And she says that he indeed, he indeed did do that under the mountain. And he admits that he's afraid that with Highburn and all the things coming that he's going to have to do it again. And then because, I don't know, sometimes Feyre gets these like bouts of courage to finally ask the things she's been wanting to ask and like making us antagonize over. <laughs> Just as they're arriving back at the townhouse, she asks, what was the cost of keeping this place secret and free? And Reese immediately lands, which apparently is like a little scary. <laughs> he immediately part. lands on top of the uh, townhouse. And he, she's, like, about to pull away. Cause, you know, like, he's been, I mean, that's the thing. Like, like conversation for another time. Every time we fly and we got to carry somebody somewhere, I just really want to know, like, what the mechanics are of, like, carrying somebody while you fly. But anyway, whatever. I digress. He puts her down, and he grabs her chin to force her to look at him before she can walk away and tells her, you know the cost already. And she realizes that we all know the cost already. Amarantha's whore. He nodded. And well. I think, this is my favorite about this line. She goes, he nodded. And I think I might have said the two vile words out loud. <laughs> and I love it because it's like, kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, girlfriend, do better. 
And then Reese describes exactly what he did. And to keep it short, he basically, like, like again, like Kim said, if you want to read the whole thing, read the book. <laughs> but he basically says that he realized that once Amarantha had drained him of what she thought was most of his powers, he still had enough le left for, like, one last-ditch effort. And he tapped into the mind of every night court citizen she captured and made them forget Valaris, forget Amran, Moore, Cassian, and Azrael. And somehow he even managed to essentially glamour the entire city so that it wouldn't be seen from the outside. So basically he made it so Valaris continued to not exist. And that's how like he used the remainder of his powers all day, every day for 50 years. And this bit just guts me. I only had enough for one city, one place. I chose the one that had been hidden from history already. I chose, and now I must live with the consequences of knowing there were more left outside who suffered. And he goes on to point out that it wasn't like a pure picnic for Valaris either, because that meant for 50 years, there were no imports, no exports, and they had to figure out how to be completely self-sufficient. And like the icing on the cake, he says, and because all my powers were forced on shielding them all, Feyre, I had very little to use against Amarantha. So I decided that to keep her from asking questions about the people who mattered, I would be her whore. And Feyre, like all of us, is just like, wow, that's a lot. And internally, what she actually says is, he'd done all of that, had done such horrible things, and everything for his people, his friends, and the only piece of him that he'd hidden and managed to keep her from tainting, destroying, even if it meant 50 years trapped in a cage of rock. Those wings now flared wide. Which honestly, I treated like a throwaway line the first time I read it, and now I'm like, yeah! <laughs> like, she's got a point! <laughs> like, we've just covered in these chapters, like, that we're talking about in this episode, we're just now really opening the book like, that is Reese, <laughs> and learning that, like, not only does he love to fly, but that, like, most of that, like, stems from his relationship with his mother, and we've learned that Feyre, like, what basically Feyre is, like, realizing is that, like, his love for his people basically surpasses everything other than maybe his love for flying, and so we now know in, like, the span of, like, four chapters more about Reese and his character than we ever learned about Tamlin in a whole fucking book. <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. Uh, like, real. Oh, my gosh. Like, Tamlin, like, maybe, like, needed his people at best. Liked them? I'm not so sure about. But, like, loving them enough to give up everything? We know Tamlin ain't gonna do that. No, she's not. Anyway, Reese, who has apparently been holding her chin this whole time. <laughs> like, this is a very long conversation. <laughs> Anyway, he's apparently been holding her face the whole time. Finally, let's go. And she grabs his wrist before he can walk away and says, it's a shame. I said the words nearly gobbled up by the sound of the city music that others in Prithian don't know. A shame that you let them think the worst. And he just backs up and tells her, as long as the people who matter most know the truth, I don't care about the rest. And he takes off into the night sky and like, guys! Kim and I knew he couldn't be all bad. <laughs> like, even on the first read, we were like, no. no. <laughs> there's there's no. way too much to this guy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. 
I love Reese. I mean, really. So, anyways, we get a snowflakey deal. And uh, Farah goes to bed, and she has nightmares like she do. But this one is, like, particularly graphic and awful. <laughs> like, I had to make note of it. She dreams that she's naked on the marble floor under the mountain, and Amarantha is, like, pinning her down and, like, running a knife, like, all over her body, saying horrible things like, you're as much a monster as me. But also, it just, like, gets weird because apparently, like, Amarantha, like, kisses her throat before, like, running a knife over it and ultimately decides to place the knife, like, under Farrah's breast before plunging it into her, and it's just, like, a lot. And she's like coming to and she realizes that someone's got her by the shoulders and is like shouting at her. But she's thrashing around and screaming and finally she hears her name, Feyre. And um, just a side note, 5,000 or so people felt the need to highlight this. So um, here you go. <laughs> the voice was at once the night and the dawn and the stars and the earth and every inch of my body calmed at that primal dominance of it. 5,000 people really like that description of Reese saying Pharaoh. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it's a good line, but 5,000 people, really? Anyway, she wakes up, and Reese is hovering over her, and he's repeating to her that it was a dream, just a dream. And she eventually realizes that while having her nightmare, her powers went haywire, and basically she's been shredding the bed with claws, but not just claws, flaming claws, because, well, shit. Before we she can make fire. Fire! Apparently she can make fire claws, like, that's a fucking thing. <laughs> Before we deal with this, we get a nice little image description from Farah. <laughs> the moonlight trickling through the windows illuminated the dark lines of swirling tattoos down his arms, shoulders, across his sculpted chest, like the ones I bore on my arm. Like our girl here woke up <laughs> to that and was kind enough to share it with us before she runs to the toilet to do the puking. <laughs> Like, we appreciate you, Farah. Thank you. Priorities. Okay, but y'all, you may remember that it drove us just a wee bit nuts how Tam, like, did not care when she would wake up and spend half the night with her head in the toilet. Not Reese, friends. Even though she literally shoves him off the bed to ensure she makes it to the toilet in time, he follows her and he pulls her hair back and sits with her and like reminds her to breathe while she's puking. And he tells her about his reoccurring nightmare while still holding her hair back. And he says that he dreams uh, that in his place, Cassian or Azriel are under the mountain and their wings are pinned to Amarantha's bed and she's forcing him to watch saying, she's commanded me to watch and I have no choice but to see how I failed them. Done puking, Farah turns to him and assures him, you never failed them. And he's super vulnerable with her, which I love. And he says, I did horrible things to ensure that. But she reminds him, so did I. Like, poor girl goes round back to puking. Yeah, but can we just say, dude, dude, dude follows her into the bathroom and holds her hair? But anyway, so at some point she is done puking and she's just like afraid to leave the bathroom. 
So she just like rests against the bathtub. And when she wakes up the next, she wakes up, it's the next morning and she's in bed tucked in with clean, non-burnt up sheets. And I'm just like, aw, aw. <laughs> and then we get another snowflakey deal, which would seem stupid to me if it weren't for the fact that like this next part of the chapter is like only three pages or something. And Feyre and Reese find themselves on a grassy slope looking up at a small mountain that contains the prison. And Feyre's internal monologue tells us that Reese is by her side dressed like she's never seen. <laughs> like he's got like Illyrian fighting leathers from what she can gather because she's like basing that off of what she saw Cassian and Azriel in like the day before. And he is armed to the teeth. Like sword down his spine, knife strapped to either leg. Like dude is ready for this, and that makes her realize she is not. She is not ready for this. Um, but before I go on, because Farah loves us and loves staring at this man, I just want to point out we get another description. <clears throat> the dark pants were tight, the scale-like plates of leather worn and scarred and sculpted to his legs that I hadn't noticed were quite that muscled. His close-fitting jacket had been built around the wings that were now fully out, bits of dark scratched armor added at the shoulders and forearms. I mean, I repeat, like, dude is armed to the teeth, like, whoa, but also, like, Farah is, let's be real, what she's really trying to say in this description is, that ass, though. <laughs> he hot. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I, I get this crazy image of, like, black leather. It's, like, the weirdest <laughs> I'm just, like, like, in a good way, but I'm just, like, damn, boy. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because, again, I like to picture, like, a movie in my head, and the movie in my head, you know how, like, <laughs> like it's, like, a cinematography thing that, like, if we're gonna go Ooh. to a new location like this, we're gonna do some kind of reveal, like, we might, like, <laughs> have the two of them standing on said grassy knoll, and then camera starts from the bottom, like, with their feet, and then, like, comes up, like, behind them so that we see them standing there, right, and I'm just laughing because I'm, like, picturing this outfit, and I'm, like, so basically, we're gonna come behind them, take a, you know, video of, of, you know, from the bottom of their feet up, so we are revealed that we are standing on this knoll looking at this mountain, but I'm sorry, we're all gonna pause and be, like, but look at his butt in those pants. <laughs> My question about that butt in these pants is, is it the kind that's tight enough that you can bounce a quarter off his ass? I assume so, because, you know, I mean, based off of Fair's description, I'm gonna go with shower. I'm thinking so. That's, I gotta admit, when I read that, I mean, all I could imagine is he's wearing, like, these black leather pants that are molded to his ass. Right? And that's all I can picture, too. I was like, Farrah, you're basically just trying to tell us he has a nice butt. Like, just say it. So she asks, like, where are they? And Reese explains that they're on an island that contains the prison. And she's like, I don't see a prison. And he's like, it's the big ass rock over there. And she's like, oh. And he explains that the prison was made even before High Lords existed, before Prithian was Prithian. And he reveals that Amran refuses to go in because she was once a prisoner there herself. And he also explains that they'll have to climb up to this prison because they can't winnow inside. And Farah is looking panicked. <laughs> and he tries to calm her down by saying, it helps the panic to remind myself that I got out, that we all got out. And she says, barely. And he continues, we got out, and it might happen again if we don't go inside. But no, Farah goes into full, 
Yeah, but Feyre goes into full panic mode and is like unable to get her feet to move and she finally just whispers, please. And without any questions or judgment, he grabs her and winnows them back to the townhouse and she runs off to her room for the remainder of the day. And the reason I like this little bit is because it proves that he really meant what he said when he said that like at any time she could say no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so as soon as she does, he's like, okay, we're out of there. And I'm just like, I love this guy. (laughs) Poor poor little girl. I mean, I get it. She's, she's traumatized. I don't blame her. I think I'd be losing my shiznit too. I'm not going to lie. It's true. It's true. So chapter 18 opens with Feyre still in bed, waking up to Amarin standing at the foot of her bed. (laughs) And she basically says, no wonder Feyre is so thin if she spends half of the night puking, which apparently Amarin gathers based on, like, I guess Feyre's stinky breath. (laughs) Like, I don't know. So, you know, Aaron being intimidating like she is, is just standing there. And then she does something that's like maybe a little cliche, but I love it anyway. She chucks this amulet onto Favor's bed, announcing, this got me out of the prison, wear it in, and they can never keep you. And she goes on to say it pains her to part with it, and that it's like not a gift, but she's allowing Favor to borrow it, and that she's to return it when she gets back from the prison. And... It's actually a really fun read, so I summed that up really quickly. If you want to read it, please do. It is. <laughs> please, please, please. Then we get a snowflakey deal, and now it's time for Enter the Prison Take Two. And apparently Reese keeps looking at the amulet Fair is wearing, and she's finally like, what? <laughs> He's just, like, observing that Amarin gave her the necklace. You know, not a question, not surprised, just curious I suppose (laughs) and they carry on climbing crawling etc up the mountainside and Feyre apologizes for the day before but Reese just grabs her hand and helps pull her up this like steep bit of rock and tells her that she has nothing to apologize for I'm like again aw (laughs) and now that they're close to the entrance (laughs) Reese draws the sword from his back and Feyre is just like ogling I suppose because he tells her to not look so surprised and she's just like I've just never seen you with a weapon which is only an interesting tidbit because in her like her mind she notes that the only other time she's seen him with a weapon it you know she says aside from the dagger he grabbed to slit Amarantha's throat at the end mm-hmm. me from agony which is true. We haven't seen him with a weapon. And the one time we do is at the end of book one. And it's also kind of the only time we've ever seen him lose his shit. So, like, basically, do with that information what you will. And the conversation then turns to Cassian and Azrael. And we basically get a big old info dump on Az while they're making their way closer and closer to the prison entrance. And as usual, I highly recommend you, like, read the book because this is only a small glimpse into the conversation or we'll be here for a freaking week because this chapter is so long. So it is. It's a long chapter. Basically, like Kim said, as is bastard born, youngest of three, two older siblings that are legitimate. So they use that to justify being cruel to Azrael and basically seeing, seeing their mother you know, his stepmom basically wasn't a fan of him, 
So he keeps her, like, she keeps him chained in a cell with no windows, and he's only, like, he wasn't permitted to fly or learn how to train, and only saw his mom, like, once a week for an hour, and basically one day his brothers are particularly awful and decide to see what happens when you mix Illyrian's quick healing gifts with oil and fire, hence the scars that Farrah noted at the dinner the night before. And we get it. Any info session on more, where Farah asks what her position as third actually entails, and Reese says, More is who I'll call when the armies fail and Cassian and Azrael are both dead. And Farah's like, So she's just waiting around till then? And he explains that really what she is is she, a go between, between the Night Court, like the Court of Nightmares and the Court of Dreams. And he points out that in the mortal realm, she would basically be considered a queen, which like, yes, we all know she is a queen. <laughs> we all know she has queen energy. <laughs> Boy, howdy does she. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we finally get a quick info dump on Amryn. And Amryn is Therese, quote, political advisor, walking library, and doer of my dirty work. I appointed her upon gaining my throne but she was my ally, maybe my friend, long before that. And Feyre is like putting these pieces together, and she says, in that war where your armies fail, and Cassian and Azrael dead, and even more is gone, and he finishes, if that day comes, I'll find a way to break the spell on Amran and unleash her on the world, and ask her to end me first. And by the time we made it through all of this, we are at the door, or the lack thereof door to the prison, Apparently, it's like a mirage. Somehow, Reese opens the side of the stone by placing his hand on it, and it, like, turns into a gate of bone, and we just don't ask questions, because sometimes the answer is just magic. <laughs> yep. And Farah starts to panic a little, grabbing at the amulet around her neck, and Reese li- like, lightly guides her in with his hand on her back, reminding her, like, just breathe. And Reese explains that basically... This is like such a weird side note that I was like, what is happening? Reese basically just says, yeah, by the way, there aren't any guards in here. They don't really do anything. (laughs) They like come around and like feed them sometimes. And it's like, okay, what a weird like observation, but all right, whatever. And he grabs her hand and is pulling her through the darkness. And this is only cute because we basically get this internal monologue from Farah that he holds her hand the whole way through while holding his sword in the other hand, and she's, like, kind of scared, but also, like, kind of at peace with the whole situation, and I just, like, think about it. She's scared because the last time she was somewhere like this, she was entering the catacombs under the mountain after, like, Alice explained to her, like, how to get into under the mountain, and she did that, like, by herself. She was completely lost, completely unprepared, all alone, and I think she keeps mentioning that he's holding her hand still because this time it's different because this time like she isn't alone. And I'm just, I don't know. I just think it's cute. <laughs> it's, like it's, it's, a, it's that gushy moment kind of type thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's not overdone. Like she doesn't really focus on it, but like, that's what I pick up of like why she keeps bringing it up. Cause she'll like kind of have like an internal monologue for a paragraph and then mention he's still holding her hand internal monologue for a paragraph mentioning <laughs> and anyway Farah distracts herself by asking you know can all the high lords enter the prison 
And the answer is no. Reese apparently can open the gates because the prison falls under his jurisdiction. And again, I'm just saying, like, basically, he's Hades, okay? <laughs> like, that's basically what we got going on here. And Farrah asks if he's ever sent anyone to the prison of no return. And he says he has, but doesn't want to talk about it right now. So instead, she asks, you know, how long was Amarin captive in the prison? And basically, to the best of Reese's knowledge, a few millennia. Like, damn. <laughs> and he explains again, and like I said, please read this so it makes more sense than I'm going to make. But basically, there's a legend that whenever the world was born, there were rifts in the fabric between realms, and some creatures from other worlds may have walked through those rifts, and when the rifts closed, those creatures became trapped, implying that Amran may be one of them. And Reese says, I think she's the only one of her kind, and there's no record of others ever having existed. Even the Surreal have numbers, however small. But she and some of those in the prison, I think they came from somewhere else. And they have been looking for a way home for a long, long time. Which just feels like really heavy, but also like really important. And I'm just saying like maybe stick that in your pocket for later. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Pharaoh reminds us yet again uh, that as they're climbing down, 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 Reese never lets go of her hand. And even when she stops to take a break and drink some water, again, I say awe. <laughs> and before finally getting to the bone carver, Reese explains that he can't tell her what she'll see when she meets him because, like, he's kind of a shapeshifter. He appears to everyone different somehow. Apparently, at this point, Reese does finally let go of Farrah's hand to open the invisible door, do, like, the whole invisible door trick again. <laughs> and this time, an elaborate bone gate opens to what Farrah sees as a young boy who says, I have carved the doors for every prisoner in this place, but my own remains my favorite. And Reese agrees with him and then tosses a bone to the carver, the calf bone that made the final kill when Farrah slew the Midgard worm. And Feyre is just, like, stunned and tells us internally, there had been many bones that I'd laid in my trap. I hadn't noticed which one ended the worm or thought anyone else would. And I just want to point out that, like, the long game that Reese has been playing here is ridiculous. Like, yes. my dude, at some point, while under the mountain, made sure to get a fucking bone used to kill the worm. Pretty impressive. I just keep, I just feel like you and I, Kim, we just, we kept saying and reiterating, like, this dude always has a plan, but even I am dumbfounded by the forethought that had to be taken <laughs> for this to be the plan. <laughs> you think? It is kind of mind-blowing. It really is. I mean, you're just kind of like, dude. It really is. Anyway, quote Carla Hall. he's pleased with the bone, and the boy turns his attention to Farah, and he mulls over her name and suddenly asks, where did you go when you died? And she replies as she was instructed. A question for a question. Which, like, amuses the bone carver because he realizes that Reese has prompted her to say this before they arrived, and he agrees to answer a question if she answers his. And at first, like, as if she's gonna, like, shut down and panic, like, she, she's, 
she's like, okay, like, okay, fine. I'll answer the question. She like musters through it. And she says, I heard the crack. She's answered the question. Where did you go when you died? I heard the crack. And Reese whips his head to her. And I'm not sure if it's because he's surprised she's answering or if it's because he knows, like he doesn't know what she's going to say or maybe he's unaware of like how much she felt and heard. Like, I don't know. I don't know what he knows, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's not made clear. We really don't know what he does or does not know. Right. But she says that she heard the crack, but she was gone before there was any real pain. And then it was dark and there was this thread and she pulled on it and suddenly she was seeing through Reese's eyes. And she says, and I knew I was dead. And this tiny scrap of spirit was all that was left of me clinging to that thread of our bargain. So the bone carver asks if there's, like, was there anyone with her? Could she see anything beyond? And she says she couldn't. And (laughs) Reese is handling this like not as well as you'd imagine. (laughs) Apparently his poker face is failing. And she explains that when she was made anew, she followed the bond back to her own body through the dark and the calm, all because she wanted to go back to the people around her. She wanted to go back home. And the bone carver pushes. There was no other world. And she says, no. And he pushes again. So no light, no portal. And Feyre internally realizes what he's asking And she's thinking, like, where is it that you want to go? And she almost asks him, but then she doesn't. And Reese cuts the interaction off at this point. And the bone, like, pointing out that the bone cover has asked, like, six questions. (laughs) And so he's like, it's your turn to answer one. And Farrah asks if it's possible to resurrect someone if all you have of them is a little piece of bone. And the bone carver asks if this person's soul was somehow contained, and upon being told yes, says that maybe it doesn't, like, no, it doesn't matter, there's no way. But then he thinks about it a moment, and he said, tells the story of the cauldron. And again, we'd be here for hours if I tried to explain this, but basically, in this world, they believe all things good and bad are made by the cauldron, and that if we could find said cauldron, you could probably resurrect somebody, okay? And Reese asks where it can be found. And the bone carver asks him a question. He says, tell me a secret no one knows, Lord of the Night, and I'll tell you mine. And Reese, the cheeky bastard he is, <laughs> tells him a secret that he hasn't told anyone. My right knee gets a twinge of pain when it rains. I wrecked it during the war and it's hurt ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so mundane. So... So Farrah's yeah, at, I love it. Farrah's looking at him like, what WTF? <laughs> but the bone carver laughed, telling Reese, you were always my favorite. Before he explains that basically the cauldron was broken into a few pieces. Basically the cauldron was broken into a few pieces. A big soup pot piece was hidden in a frozen lake and the three feet of the cauldron were split up into different temples, which red flag. Now we know why those temples were ransacked, don't we? Ding, 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 ding. Reese asks if the bone carver knows who has the cauldron, but the bone carver says, promise that you'll give me her bones when she dies and I'll think about it. No, I don't think even you would promise that, Reese Ann. And Reese just thanks him. Yeah, I know, right? Like, what the, what the, what? 
And Reese just thanks him for his help and leads Feyre back out of the cell. But she can't let it go. She's like, no, like, we are so close. And so she whips around and she says, there was a choice in death. And apparently, like, Reese is, like, kind of grabbing at her back. And she doesn't know if it's to steady her or steady himself as she's saying this. And she says, I knew that I could drift away into the dark. And I chose to fight to hold on a bit longer. Yet I knew if I wanted to, I could have faded. And maybe it would have been a new world, a realm of rest and peace, but I wasn't ready for it, not to go alone. I knew there was something else waiting beyond that dark, something good. And the bone carver gives his answer. You know who has the cauldron, Resand, who has been pillaging the temples, who only, you only came here to confirm what you long guessed. So, yup, King of Habern it is. But Reese wants to be sure, so he says, the King of Highburn. But the bone carver, the nosy little nit he is, waits for another piece of juicy information before he'll answer. So Feyre continues. When Amarantha made me kill those two fairies, if the third hadn't been Tamlin, I would have put the dagger in my own heart at the end. I knew there was no coming back from what I'd done. And once I broke their curse, once I knew I'd saved them, I just wanted enough time to turn the dagger on myself. I only decided I wanted to live when she killed me, and I knew I had not finished whatever, whatever it was I'd been born to do. Which is like a beautiful confession on her part. Yeah. And it has apparently just like frosted Reese to the bone because me and 3,000 other people highlighted this line from her internal monologue where she says, I dare glanced at Reese and there was something like devastation on his beautiful face. It was gone in a blink. And the bone carver offers, with the cauldron, you could do other things than raise the dead. You could shatter the wall. Think, think, think. Yeah. And it makes Sarah think of her family, and she just asks, is there a way to stop it? And Reese steps in, hoarse, and I guess about as white as a sheet, and says, don't offer him one more. But the bone carver speaks up without her offering anything else up. And he mm -hmm. says that they would have to use the Book of Breathings, a spell book. But it's been split into two pieces and divided. The Fae receiving one half and the human queens having the other. And apparently, again, read this for better detail. The human queens have made it real impossible to steal their half. So they're going to have to give it away freely. And so, like, this is going to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> and finally, with all this heavy information, Reese takes Feyre's hand again and they begin to leave. And just as they do, the bone carver says, holding the bone he received, I shall carve your death in here, Feyre. Like, you, you're gonna what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, what a weird thing to say. And eventually, while making their way out, Feyre asks Reese how the bone carver appeared to him, and he says, like, you tell me first. And she says, a young, dark-haired, blue-eyed boy. And he tells her, he saw Jurian. Which means the bone carver knew exactly, like, before they got there like what they were going to be talking about. And that's the end of this chapter. And Lord, what a lot of info to take in. And uh, we're not done there because uh, Kim and I are crazy. So we were like, one more chapter, guys. <laughs> so 
chapter less, chapter 19 is a little less info heavy, but still a lot. But it has my favorite part of the book so far. <laughs> and it's literally just the last page. <laughs> so let's get into it. Back at the townhouse, the inner circle is bickering and poking fun and doing whatever it is they do while they wait for Reese to come back for missions. Vera doing, you know, she's just like totally done from today's events. She just goes to the fireplace and is like, I'm just going to stand here and warn myself. This has been a lot. And Reese fills the group in about the cauldron and the book of readings and the whole bit. Mm -hmm. And Azriel jumps in when Reese is done saying that he'll contact his sources in the summer court about their half of the book of readings. But Reese tells him not to because this whole plot basically is going to have to hinge on the fact that they cannot discuss this outside of the group of people in this room, plus Amarin, who isn't there. And Reese goes on to explain, the King of Highburn sacked one of our temples to get a missing piece of the cauldron. As far as I'm concerned, it's an act of war, an indication that his majesty has no interest in wooing me. And Cassian agrees, saying that he probably remembers their alliance with the humans in the war, and also, quote, Amaranthus cronies probably reported to him about Under the Mountain, about how it all ended, I mean. Yeah. And Feyre realizes they mean about how he tried to kill her, which, like I said, thinking about it now, (laughs) this man has always had a plan. So the fact that the moment, like, this is the only moment we've ever seen him totally abandon his coolness, like, he was able to keep it up for 50 years and then lose it at the last minute, you know? So I'm just saying, that's really telling, and I think Favre is picking up on that, too. <laughs> just, just a wee bit. Anyway, Reese says that since Hybern's peeps have been managed to, like, they've managed to infiltrate their land somehow, he plans to return the favor. And Moore asks how. And Reese basically reiterates what we already know, but for the sake of the group, it will require careful planning, but if the cauldron is in Hybern, then to Hybern we must go, either to take it back or use the book to nullify it. Basically, the next logical question is, so how you gonna get the book? <laughs> and Reese explains that the book is, like, spell, like, it's, like, spellbound specifically to a High Lord Summer in this case, and that, like, lucky for them, they may have their very own detector, Feyre, you know, because she's, like, made up of little bits of all of them. <laughs> Yeah. And Farrah's like, you know, the bone carver said, like, maybe that would work. <laughs> Not definitely. And he says, no, but there's a way to test it. <laughs> and I just love how Cassian basically pulls a Lucian and he says, here we go. <laughs> and Reese goes on. With your abilities, Farrah, you might be able to find the half of the book at the summer court and break the wards around it. But I'm not going to take the carver's word for it or bring you there without testing you first. To make sure that when it counts, when we need to get that book, you, we, do not fail. So we're going to, on another, er, so we are going on another little trip to see if you can find a valuable object of mine that I've been missing for a considerably long time. And more literally is like, shit. Nope, nope, nope. And Farrah's like, where? And Azrael knows the answer, and he's like, to the weaver. 
And Moore kind of tries to, like, talk Reese out of this side quest, but Feyre interrupts, asking, like, who's the weaver? And Asriel jumps in, saying she's an ancient wicked creature who shouldn't be bothered. He even goes to say, find another way to test her abilities to Reese, which I just find fascinating for two reasons. Like, one, look at how they are not afraid to disagree with their high lord, which is, like, world different from how things are done in the spring court. Just a wee bit, like... And two, I think it's interesting because as someone who knows, like, what's about to happen, and we'll talk about it in the next episode with the Weaver, like, I just think it's kind of weird that they really don't want her to go because, like, honestly, I feel like testing her now against the Weaver would be, like, a heck of a lot better than just, like, throwing her to the wolves in the summer court and being like, find the book! But anyway, Reese doesn't bow to more as he just shrugs and looks at Feyre, and we get a great internal monologue from her to let me choose. Always. It was always my choice with him these days. Yet he hadn't let me go back to the spring court during those two visits because he knew how badly I needed to get away from it. I don't know. I just love it. But before making any decisions on the matter, we go into a total side tangent. And this is like one of the few times where I'm like, this conversation does not feel like it has any natural flow. Like, what the heck? Like, we still love you, Sarah J. Mass, but this conversation just like totally like sidetracks for like no good reason. And Reese basically offers to make Feyre his emissary to the human lands and she's like, huh? (laughs) He explains that they're basically going to need a way to communicate with the human queens as well as potentially other humans if like things go sideways with this whole highburn thing. And Feyre realizes that she's implying that she may be able to convince her sisters to use their house as a meeting place. And Cassian finally speaks up, thinking this is a shit plan, and he's like, you think we can just take over her family's house, demand that of them? And Moore points out, the land will run red with blood, Cassian, regardless of what we do with her family. It is now a matter of where that blood will flow and how much will spill, how much human blood we can save. And Reese assures Feyre they, like, won't have to go through the spring court to get there. They can fly in off the coast instead. And he starts to tell her that, like, he knows it won't be easy to convince her sisters or the queens, but, like, maybe they should try. And Feyre just cuts him off and says, I'll do it. I'll do it, I said. Claire Better's broken and nailed body flashed in my vision. Amarantha had been one of his commanders, just one of many. The King of Iburn had to be horrible beyond reckoning to be her master. If their people got their hands on my sisters, they may not be happy about it, but I'll make Elena Nesta do it. Mm-hmm. And Reese closes the matter. Then it's settled. Once Feyre Darling returns from the Weaver, we'll be bringing Highburn to its knees. And honestly, that could be a perfectly good end of the chapter, but we don't play like that, so we get snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> now it's nighttime. And Reese and the others are gone, and Feyre eats dinner and goes to sleep, and she has her nightmares, but they're not as bad as usual. Basically, she just has a dream about the bone carver, and when she wakes up, within seconds, Reese is knocking on her door and letting himself in. <laughs> and he's, like, throwing clothes from her dresser at her, telling her to, like, hurry up and get dressed, and to quote T-Swift here, she's basically like, damn, it's 7 a.m., <laughs> But anyway, she's like, like, she's like, are you, what were you like waiting for me? And he's basically like, yup. <laughs> and 
she's like, uh, what? And he's like, had you agreed to work with me for two, like two months ago, I would have taken you right to the bone carver to see if he confirmed my suspicions about your talents, but things didn't go as planned. And she's like, still putting it all together. Like, wait, is this why you needed me to be able to read? And he's like, well, yeah, like, that is why I need you to be able to read because the book of breathings, but also like a person should just be able to read, period. I'm thinking Favor's not a morning person because she sounds like me in the morning. It's that whole, I need caffeine because I yeah, she's am like, not what are we talking about? <laughs> Pretty much, poor thing. And so she's like, wait, this was like all a thing. And he's like, yeah. And she, he's like, do you blame me? And she says, no. But that she wants to be notified of any future schemes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he replies, duly noted. As he opens her underwear drawer, presumably to chuck undergarments at her, like he's been chucking clothes at her. But he's surprised to pull out like these spicy things. <laughs> oh, dear God. And he's like, I was sure that like you would have demanded that these be replaced by now. And so she stalks over to him and snatches them away. And she's like, you're drooling on the carpet. It's this weird like Victoria's Secret moment. Exactly. It is so funny. So he lays the knife belt out, down on the ground and he like kneels down so that she can step into it. I did as instructed, ignoring the brush of his steady hands on my thighs as I stepped through another loop and he began tightening and buckling things. And they continue to talk about the weaver and the fact that she's blind and while, you know, they're just chatting about this, that, and the other about the weaver while he's like continuing to tighten the straps <laughs> with what she calls strong, capable hands. I'm just saying. Favors just, she does the thing. <laughs> yep. But he's still strapping at this point, what must be the most complicated belt in the world, because, like, they have been talking and talking, and he is still kneeling in front of her, buckling these damn things. And he tells her, do not make a sound, do not touch anything but the object she took from me. Reese looked up, hands braced on my thighs. Bow, he'd once ordered Tamlin. And now here he was, on his knees before me. His eyes glinted as if he remembered too. And that is why this is my favorite part, guys. <laughs> because I just think that this will be such a beautiful chemistry moment for TV. I just mm -hmm. picture it. I just picture it so well in my head. But anyways, they chat about the Weaver a moment more. And she noted... <laughs> She notes that he's basically done now. Like <laughs> He's finally done strapping this thing on. But his hands are still lingering on her legs. And they're like wrapped around the back of them now. And she said, and she says, you know, and if anybody notices me, like if the weaver notices me, and he says, mm, then we'll learn precisely how skilled you are. And so she scowls at him like, what the fuck? I'm answering that. <laughs> And he says, would you rather I locked you in the house of wind and stuffed you with food and made you wear fine clothes and plan my parties? <laughs> and like, low blow, but... Dude, that is so low. But also, we get it. <laughs> and she does too, because she only gives like a half-hearted go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> before, before asking why he can't just go get this object himself. And the answer is basically that High Lords can't go in there. And it's more complicated than that, but read the book. Remember, he's still on his knees, still touching her legs for whatever reason. <laughs> and she says, so 
I'm your huntress and thief. His hand slid down to cup the backs of my knees, as he said with a roguish grin. You are my salvation, Pharaoh. Mic drop, end of chapter. <laughs> Mercy. And I just, I just picture this exchange so well. Like, I just really hope that they're able to, like, capture, like, I just, I, whoever they cast, I, you know, hopefully the two of them have really good chemistry, and like, hopefully, like, the little sparkle in his eye, like, the mischief in his voice, like, while he's, like, holding the backs of her legs, like, I just think this is, like, a weirdly powerful moment for their relationship, because, mm-hmm. but because we've never seen Tamlin do or say anything like this exchange. No, ever. Like, never, Tamlin, ever. never, like, she, he, like, this is a man who, like, <sighs> I'm just so frustrated thinking about it. <laughs> like, Tamlin never did anything terribly useful to help her. And he's like literally on his hands and knees, like to strap her into this like complicated belt of weaponry. And also just the fact that he has no like problem being there. You know what I mean? Like this is literally the most mm-hmm. powerful High Lord in the whole freaking area. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, like this is my responsibility. If I'm gonna send her there, I gotta send her there prepared. And he like actually helps her and then even admits, like, you know, oh, so I'm supposed to be your huntress or whatever. And he's like, no, like, you're way more than that. <laughs> and that wraps up today's chapters. <laughs> so, Kim, Thong, I know you got a bunch of them. I do. Uh, if you remember, in book one, we had character assigned songs for any major-ish characters and the same will hold true and if you remember in chapter 16 Pharaoh meets a whole bunch of new people so we have some songs we have some songs so without further ado here is the playlist uh the first song is Stand By You by Rachel Platten and it is Reese the Pharaoh, uh, regarding her decision about what had happened. Um, you know, that he, welcome to Valarish. This is my home. You know, basically he's acknowledging he's still here. She's still here. And when he lays down the whole, here are the two big things, you know, about getting into the house. So, you know, he's encouraging her. And it comes out multiple times in this this uh, podcast section of chapters that, he he definitely has her back. He is standing standing there with her. Uh, the next song is Praying by Kesha. Uh, basically, after Farah is, you know, she's at the townhouse, she's in Valaris, and she has definitely decided she is not returning to the Spring Court, at least not any time soon. Uh, the next song is Trouble by Pink, and it goes for the dinner when she gets to meet the inner circle. And it's just kind of a description of what the inner circle is and, and the kind of personalities and attitudes. So, My favorite part of the book so far, as well as about 4,500 other people on Kindle, apparently, because it has over 4,500 other highlights. And the next song after that, it, it's related to the discussion that happens during dinner. All the, how did you guys meet, favorite story, the whole bit. Um, the whole, well, what kind of a message would me training send? All of that BS, okay? Uh, the BS about the training, not the BS about the stories, because it's important to really understand that. And that song is Closer to Find by the Indigo Girls. 
you know, the song is really an evolution of a person through their different stages of life. And one of my all-time favorite stanzas of lyrics is, I spent four years prostate to the higher mind. I got my paper and now I'm free. And it, it speaks to me on so many levels. And it, it speaks about this too, in a way, because I mean, she's free now. Remember, when Moore carried her out of the manor house, she kept telling favor, you're free. And it just, it really resonates. So here we go. Character theme songs. Yay! <laughs> Woo! We're, we're excited. This is actually the fun stuff. So We Sand actually is going to get two songs because they both kind of cover the changes in his personality and, and who he really is in this section. Um, the first one is High Hopes by Panic at the Disco. If you really listen to the lyrics, it really kind of talks about what he sees as the High Lord and how he sees his court and how he really views the world around him and his city and his people. Uh, and the other one is True Colors because all the masks are gone and you really get to see Reese for Reese. Um, not not the high lord that you saw off the the you know court under the mountain any of that not this horrible terrible person that she was convinced he was you really get to see who he is and really what a good person he is i know um, i'm so, like i it's funny because like kim and i like we've obviously read the book before and then we were doing the reread for this and it's like i forgot how like in just a cut like just this section of chapters alone like this like six chapters that we just did like the amount of like vulnerability and like growth that he goes through in like these six chapters is just a lot like this episode could easily have been five hours just analyzing it from his perspective i mean we mostly kind of focused on Absolutely. what Vera was telling us because that's the perspective the story's written from but like jesus he does a lot like he really does the most <laughs> He does. The next song is Moore's song, and it is Roar by Katy Perry. And it really comes to play when she she tells Feyre uh, about the whole training bit. That fierceness that, like her, she is a survivor, and she she will do this. The next song after this, I love it. This is this is one of my favorites, and it makes both of us laugh hysterically every time we hear it. And that is Demi Lovato, uh, Confident. And it is confident because Amarin is anything but not confident. That woman has so much confidence, it kind of oozes out of every little pore of hers. Remember, she's tinier than Feyre, and she made Feyre feel like she was about two inches tall. Uh, just off of the power and everything else. And and, and the, the more you learn about Amarin throughout the book, let me tell you, you really realize it's Amarin's song. It's just Amarin. And every time I hear the song, I just giggle because I can totally imagine Amarin when I hear the song. Uh, Azrael is our next person, and his song is Soldier by Fleury. He's very quiet and kind of mysterious, and the song kind of has this quiet, mysterious quality, but Azrael is a soldier of sorts, and it definitely fits uh, who As is and his role throughout the books. All right, so this song just kind of makes me giggle because, well, it's Cassian, and I'm serious when I tell y'all, Cassian's my favorite. I love Cassian. And his song is Bombaleo Hero, you know, Mr. Ricky Martin himself, Mr. Hot and Sexy. 
you know, and uh, but the version I specifically chose because of the way they mashed the song together is the Glee cast version. So if you have another version you like, go for it. But there's just something about it because let's face it, Cassian is the general of Reese's armies, plural. And the last song is actually a new song for Feyre. And Fight Song is still definitely her song because um, she's a fighter throughout the whole series and, and it definitely, you know, is applicable. However, in this book, especially in this section of six chapters, the, the, the song we chose is Brave by Sarah Bareilles because it just, you know, she's finally starting to move past the trauma. And, you know, Reese gives her the choice to keep coming back and to be brave. So those are the songs on this part of the playlist. We have lots more coming. Uh, this playlist is a lot longer than the other. So just know that there's some great parts coming and, and I can't wait to share the music with y'all. Yay. All right, real quick before we disappear on you, follow us on all of the things. Website, MassiveFanBookClub.com. Facebook at MassiveFanBookClub and Podcast. Twitter at MassivePodcast. Instagram at MassiveFanPodcast. Pinterest at MassiveFans. TikTok at MassiveFanPod. And I said those really quick, and they all have two A's, but it's okay because I link to them in the show notes, so you can just click. <laughs> yeah, follow us. And on that note, alrighty. Bye. Bye. Ooh, hey guys, we forgot to mention, we're going to be taking a short vacation for 4th of July, so there will not be a new episode drop dropping on July 5th. That just means you'll have to wait one more week. Sorry about that, but there will be a new episode on Monday, July 12th. Hope you look forward to it. Thanks. Bye.